Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We are talking about life in the Spirit. Let me share a little story with you, if I could. A seaman sees a light ahead, a blip on his radar, realizes what's going on, and he clearly, unequivocally instructs, please turn 15 degrees north to avoid collision. There's a pause, and the voice comes back, please turn 15 degrees south to avoid collision. Rather frustrated, the seaman doesn't know exactly what to do, hands the microphone to the admiral, the admirable, rather frustrated, says, this is Admiral Jonathan Kennedy. Please turn 15 degrees north to avoid collision. Again, a pause. And then the voice says, this is Alan Pike. Please turn 15 degrees south to avoid collision. The admirable, irritated, ramps it up, says, son, perhaps you don't understand. This is Admiral Jonathan Kennedy, commanding officer of the USS Abraham Lincoln, turn 15 degrees north now where we will have no other recourse but to engage in defensive measures. And after a long pause, a voice speaks saying, with all due respect, sir, this is Alan Pike and I'm in charge of this lighthouse. Can I ask you who changed course and why? Many things, including ourselves, will want to seize control of our lives. Is that not true? Especially we're in the storm. We want to do, we're scrambling about, frantically trying to, what can I do? But there's only one voice we need to turn to, only one voice we need to listen to and hear, and that is Jesus, who is our lighthouse. And he will do this by his spirit. Now, you remember last week, we started into a series entitled Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. And last week, we saw this amazing truth that Jesus put it so simply, and yet it is so profound. He said, he who believes in me possesses, has eternal life. He who believes in me has eternal life. Did you realize that right now you have eternal life? It's not just a life insurance policy in your back pocket. It's not a fire insurance, if you understand what I'm saying, in your back pocket. It is life now. And that life is dramatically different than what you experienced before Jesus which the Bible says was death. You now have life. He has breathed life into you, much as Ezekiel 37, where Ezekiel prophesied, and he breathed life into the dry bones. God did that for you when you, when you chose to believe in Jesus. He breathed life into you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now you've been raised up with Christ. You're alive in him. And that's what we looked at last week. This life in the spirit starts when we believe in Jesus. And we now are on this journey of what I'm going to continue to call life in the spirit. But yes, there is more. Today, and really for the rest of the series, we want to ask this question, how do we live 
in this newfound life. Now, don't be mistaken. Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to rob you of love, joy, peace, and everything, every little bit of the inheritance God has given you. He wants to steal that from you. Jesus said that he had come to bring life and life to the full. King James says, life more abundantly. Isn't that the kind of life that you would like? How many of you would like to have life to the full, life to the max? Every one of us. I didn't wake up this morning saying, man, this is a bummer life. Oh, man, I don't like this. I, I want the life that Jesus has, for me, but I want it to the full. Okay, and this is what God, this is God's goal for you to be able to us, for us to be able to experience this abundant life. So how do we do this? Now, I'm going to use a term today and kind of throughout this series, and it's a business term. It's this concept of sourcing. Now, I have no problem with using a business term such as sourcing the spirit. That means simply relying fully upon, except it's one word, sourcing. Sourcing the Spirit. Now, Stephen Covey with his uh, Seven Habits of, uh, of uh, an Effective Leader, he, he said this concept of being proactive was so important. And he, he didn't coin the phrase, but he was the one who basically made it so popular decades ago. And the church started using that term, being proactive. And so there's no problem in doing this. Paul did this. Paul used courtroom terms like justification, except that's our English word. The Greek word, was a, it's, it's a courtroom word. Jesus, when Paul says, not that I'm looking for uh, what, may, uh, what I can get from this, but I'm looking for what may benefit you and for uh, what may be credited to your account. And he had been talking about their giving and his receiving, and he had been thanking them, and he used a banking term. So I'm going to use a business term, and it's, a, it's not a, I'm not coining this phrase, obviously. It's a term that's been out there. It's a term that's now uh, been floating through the, the church, and it's this concept of sourcing. So when I'm talking about life in the Spirit, I'm talking about sourcing the Spirit. I'm talking about relying fully and completely upon the Spirit, sourcing the Spirit. So how do we do this? How do I access that? So you're there with me in Galatians chapter 5. I want us to read uh, verses 16 through 18 and then 23 through 26. You know, I have a little note down here, and, and it says this, that we learn to rely upon God's Spirit completely as our source of everything, as our source of everything. I, I appreciated Madeline's term, word that she coined, God's everythingness. And, and, and it's because every church, everything, we don't think about this, everything in our life goes back to Jesus Christ. It goes back to God who created, who breathed life into us. And as a result, it's so easy. We go through life and we think, well, what's next on my agenda? What do I got to do today? What, am I, or what are my goals? What are my objectives? What am I going to accomplish? And it's about me and what I do. And we forget, oh, yeah, and God, would you please bless all of this? Hello, I, we, as we go through this concept of life and this, or sourcing the spirit, we're going to find every, we're going to discover God's everythingness, church. 
God's everythingness for me that I need to source, that I need to tap into. That is my everything. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, my version says sinful nature. Just so you know from here on out, I'm going to be using the term flesh. In the NIV, King James, it uses the word flesh. I, I understand why they use this term sinful nature. That's kind of what they're getting at. The actual word is flesh. So that's the one I'm going to use today. All right? Not to gratify the desires of the flesh. For the sinful nature, or the flesh, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Then he goes on and he talks about the acts of the flesh. It lists them there. There's many of them. In the verse 22, he picks up and says, but... I want you to kind of box or highlight or underline, circle, whatever you want to do, that word but, contrast here. But the fruit of the Spirit, are you ready, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Aren't those the things that you want to see in your life? That, that's just a little bit of God's everythingness. He goes on and he says, against the, such things, there is no law. Law, by the way, usually comes to us in the negative. Do not, do not, do not. Don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't bear false testimony. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. We actually, if we were to go through this, we would see four references to this idea of sourcing the spirit. Look there in verse 16, we find one. Now, my version, it says, live by the spirit. Uh, if you have the NASB, you will read walking by the spirit or walking in the spirit. All of these four that I'm going to point out to you, and I want you to underline them, all of them are a verb with another word that's translated in the Spirit, sometimes translated by the Spirit. They're, they mirror one another. So the first one I want you to underline is walking in the Spirit. This basically is the concept of sourcing the Spirit, relying upon the Spirit. It's not a given. Do you see that? It is a charge. There are people who will not, in the kingdom of God, there are people who will not walk in the spirit. So he's telling them, hey, hey, walk in the spirit. Here's another one for you. Verse 18, it says, but if you are led by the spirit, being led by the spirit or led in the spirit, that's another one. We find, in, we find two others in verse 25. In verse 25, it says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, let me just say this, that all of these are not tantamount to, they don't, they're, they're not synonyms for one another. Three of them are. The one that's not is that one right there you see in verse 25. Did you underline that one? Live by the Spirit. And the other one that says they're keeping step with the Spirit. So we have the four, we have walking in the spirit, we have being led by the spirit, we have live in the spirit, 
And then the last one is keep in step with the Spirit. The difference with that live in the Spirit that you see there in verse 25 is that it's the only one that's not conditional. It is assumed. And here's why it is. If you are in Christ, listen to this. If you are in Christ, you have been made alive by the Spirit. There are no exceptions. If you are not alive in the Spirit today, it is because you have never truly placed faith in Jesus Christ. Christ has birthed something in you. He has raised you from death if you believe in him, if you've trusted in him, and he's birthed life in you by the spirit of life. And that's what that phrase is getting at. This is assumed. You have life in the spirit. You have been, here's another way to say it, you've been made alive by the spirit. And then he says, so gang, if you've been made alive by the spirit, keep in step with the spirit. And that Greek word, keep in step with the spirit, is basically mirror imaging, like in a march, mirror imaging the spirit. In Jesus' ministry, he said, whatever he saw the father do, that's what he did. We are keeping in touch with the spirit, and that's what we're going to need to investigate. How do you, what does that look like? How do you walk, or rather keep in step with the spirit? Because this key that I'm going to be sharing with you, this concept of sourcing the Spirit, here's how important it is. This is the key to that abundant life. This is the key for you, the commander of your vessel, not being dashed upon the rocks of this world. The storms, as Meredith suggested, the storms come on everyone. They're going to, whether you're a Christian or not, you cannot avoid the storms of life. They're going to happen. The question is, are you going to listen to the lighthouse or are you not? Are you going to source the spirit or are you not? Are you going to be fully dependent upon God's everythingness or are you not? And so here is the one given. You have, you have been made alive by this. There is life in you. In Corinthians, when we did the Second Corinthians class this past Monday, we saw two verses in that book that says that the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. That is a deposit. The Spirit is a deposit in you, like a down payment, a first installment, and you have an inheritance, but there's more to come. There's more to come. There's the abundant life, number one, that you get to experience from now till you die or Jesus comes. And then there is the rest of it that comes when you are with God forever. And, and this is amazing. And I want, I don't know about you, I want to experience this abundant life. And there's one way to do it, and that is by sourcing the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is one way to say it. Being led by the Spirit is another way to say it. Keeping in step with the Spirit is another way to say it. All of this, of course, flowing from this life in the Spirit. And by the way, that word, live by the Spirit, in verse 25 that you underlined, that's that Greek word that we looked at last week, zoe. It's a verb form here now. But life, you have received life. God has breathed that into you. Now, how do we then live moment by moment by the Spirit? Some of you, you feel beaten up. You feel that like everything that you want in this life is being flushed down the toilet. It's as if, wow, God, 
Here, here are my goals in life, and I, this is what I want to accomplish. And it's like you're picking off one by, one by one. It's like my life is messed up. Now, in part, it's because you've got the wrong agenda, and sourcing the Spirit means you've got to get his agenda and not yours. And so God is going to be tweaking, or maybe for some of us, he's going to totally throw out your agenda to give his own to you. Some of us struggle with this concept of joy. Joy, church, listen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's my birthright. That's, that's your inheritance that we're talking about. And I'm going to tell you this. If you source the Spirit, God is going to give you an amazing joy every single day. Now, I'm going to make a distinction here. Happiness is an emotion. Emotions come and go, church. They come and go. Don't ever rely on your emotions. Don't ever operate out of emotions. Emotions are great, but they're here today, gone tomorrow. They're up and down. That's just the way it is. You can, you can look at the storms of life and begin to feel fear, but take steps of faith and be amazed at what God does because you responded in faith. You didn't respond in fear. You see, God has this abundant life for you. And my prayer is as we go through this journey and discussing life in the spirit, that you're going to tap into this key, and it's just going to take time as we unfold it. There's a lot of different aspects to it, but how do you live this life so that you can embrace and walk in that abundant life? Amen? Well, here's what I want us to do. If we go back to verses 16 through 18, we're going to recognize three players. That's what I'm going to call them, three players. Three players in your life. Number one player that you're going to recognize, <coughs> excuse me, is the flesh, the sinful nature. The second player is going to be the law. And the third player is the spirit. We're going to need to talk about those right now. There's only so much we can discuss about them. So I'm only going to give you is what I believe is enough for us to understand this concept of life in the spirit or sourcing the spirit. You see, the flesh, the sinful nature, has to do with negative emotions, depression that can result from this, the, the, these negative emotions that we end up tapping into and sourcing. You know, we get depressed. It's just an emotion. It's up and down. But when we tap into that, that's where it brings destruction, okay? When we live our life out of that, like fear, worries, anger is not always wrong, but when we tap into it to sin, that's a negative emotion. Anger can overcome us. So the flesh is negative emotions, and it's also evil desires. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its what? Two things. Passions, which are the negative emotions, and desires. And that Greek word there is what we tr generally translate as evil desires, even lusts. Greed, by the way, is a form of lust. Lust isn't just sexual desire that controls you. These, e these are evil desires. I want this. I want this. I want this. I want to seek revenge. I want to make so much money. I, wa I want people to adore me. I want, I want, I want. And these are evil desires that we can tap into and lead us. We can source. That's sourcing the flesh. The law is another player here. 
It's about rules and commands, obligations and duties, and we can source duty. I'm just going to let you know this right offhand, that when you source the law, you will become weary. You're, you're going to become weary. We're going to have to get into that in just a minute. The third player, of course, is the spirit. This is God's heart. The spirit possesses God's will and desire for you, for your life. And that is what you want to tap into. It is a wellspring of life and the everythingness of God. So which of these should I access or rely upon? I'm going to give you an illustration here. My next door neighbor, on occasion, when he cuts his lawn, and let me just say, when he cuts his lawn, there's like no grass left. That's just how he likes to cut his lawn, and he cuts it like once a year. No, he doesn't either. Um, he, he just cuts it less frequently than I do generally. Um, and sometimes he will cut a path or two into my grass that I cut much higher than his, especially during the summertime. What if now? What if my neighbor, with a good intention, for whatever reason, cuts three, maybe four um, mower swaths, paths on my side, and my grass dies. My flesh, if I source my flesh, I'm going to get my weed whacker and weed whack his flowers. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> ah, there's like, how dare you? you, you look at this on my grass, and I spent so much time. Ah, and I throw a temper tantrum. I am angry. How do I respond? <sighs> Pull out my weed whacker. Let's go. Let's go. I'll show you who's boss. I'll show you. We could source the law. You know what? My grass died. It's now going to cost me $500 to have a company come in and resod that. I'm going to sue him. I'm going to take him to court. And I could actually, that's what the law says that I could do. Now, out of the kindness of his heart, I guess, I'm assuming, uh, unless it was because last week, that thing I did with his cat... Okay, now I'm under. Anyway, so I, I could sue him. I could take him to court, and that I, I could be justified by doing that because that is the law. Not just God's law that talks about restitution, but the law of our land. I could do that. And so my wife says, but Michael, but Michael, why don't you just pray about this? Oh, man. I, my, my weed whacker is all primed and ready to go. I can take care of this like right now. I've got my lawyer. I, I can call him. You know, I'll pray about it. Fine, I'll pray about it. And as I'm praying about it, I come across this passage in Scripture. When someone asks you to go a mile, go with him too. The context being when a Roman soldier, by law, were to ask you can you please carry my backpack for a mile? You were obligated to do that. And Jesus is saying, go further than that. Express love. Let me word it in our language today. Source the spirit. Tap into the spirit of the law. Love and go with him two miles. And maybe in that second mile, Maybe the, after the first mile, you have served your obligation, but after the second mile, you'll have made a friend. And you'll have had an opportunity to share with your new friend, your best friend. 
Jesus. So that's what the Spirit would say to me. And in all honesty, I might struggle with that. And I might wrestle with it. Just like we read about in verse 18, 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh, and I struggle. But I want God's will. So you know what? I'm not going to weed whack his flowers. I am not going to sue him, but I am actually going to cut his lawn for him. Which is not much after what he did to it. But, And I am going to replace my grass at my expense and water it. Now see, I am not saying then that the law is bad. That is an option. It's just that when we tap into the Spirit, the Spirit leads us. And instead of sourcing the law, I source the Spirit. If we were actually to go through the entire book of Galatians, like our class did a couple of weeks ago in June, when we go through this book, we would realize the main question that Paul is answering. Many people today, they want to know, how much of the law do we keep? You know, should I get tattoos or should I not? The the mosaic law actually has something to say about that. And so we we might want to know, how much of the law do I keep? And some would say you get rid of all of it, and some would say no, we keep the moral law. And others would say no, we only you know we only keep the the laws that are in the New Testament. And some would say we don't keep any laws at all. We're just led as the Spirit of God would lead us. But see, that's the wrong question. The question is that Galatians answers is not how much of the law do I keep. It doesn't answer that. The quest, the right question is what is the place of the law. And that question is pertinent to what I want to talk to you this morning about. If you remember the movie, I, Robot, with Will Smith, Will Smith, is he has a major question. He needs to resolve the problem that I'm not going to get into it concerning these robots that this genius of a scientist created. And so he has a hologram that he has discovered as he's following these breadcrumbs that the scientist actually led him to. And he activates this hologram and he asks a question and the response is, I'm sorry, but that's the wrong question. So Will Smith words it differently. He asks a better question and the hologram says, now that's the right question. And he answers it. So I'm just going to tell you, if you want to know today how much of the law do I keep, I'm going to tell you that's the wrong question. But what I will tell you is, the place of the law? Now that's the right question. To answer that, I want you to turn the page back to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, and you're going to see here in just a moment, this truly is an important question. What is the place of of the law because many of us even in our walk with Christ we source the law and you may not understand what I'm talking about right now you will in a moment but we can source the law instead of the spirit and we walk around honestly as depressed Christians feeling guilty unable to bear this weight and and God did not create you as newborn Christians to walk that way he didn't create a source the law but source the spirit so what is the place of the law. Here's the place of the law 
before Christ. Are you ready? Verse 24. It says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. I want you to underline this phrase in verse 24, in charge to lead, in charge to lead. And in verse 25, underline this phrase, the supervision of the law, the supervision of the law. Now, I'm reading from the NIV, and it translates the very same Greek word in two different ways. The Greek word, pedagogos, we get our word pedagogue from. Pedagogos is the word that's used here. The pedagogos generally was a slave. He literally translated, this word means boy leader. Not that he was a boy leading, but that he was actually a slave leading the master's boy. He would lead him to school. He would supervise him much as a glorified babysitter. Do this, don't do that. That was the place of the law. The law was the instructor. Excuse me, not the instructor, the one who said do this and don't do this. The term pedagogue today means teacher. Unfortunately, even though it's a borrowed word in the Greek, it doesn't really necessarily mean that. So this word, pedagogos, simply meant one who was generally a slave, and he was leading and instructing my son, my child. The law led. In Christ... The law no longer leads. The law actually as a whole, civil, moral, ceremonial, is completely done away with. But the moral character of God, which is eternal and shines through the moral law, extends forever and ever, even into heaven. It doesn't change. You know, stealing was wrong before God created the world and after the world would be destroyed because the moral character, the holiness of God never changes. But even so, God's rules and commands and instructions do not lead us. Who leads us then? What leads us? You see there in verse 25, it uses that preposition under. It says there, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the pedagogos. We're no longer under this boy leader, this instructor, the one set in charge until the boy comes of age. If you were to turn with me then to chapter 5, rediscover who our new leader is. In Christ, when faith has come, it is no longer the law. He says very clearly in chapter 5, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not under the pedagogos. The Spirit leads you. The Spirit is now in charge. So do you see this? Now, we may not think that this is very significant. Hopefully, by the end of the day, we're going to see its significance. And so I've got to really hurry here because there's more that, I want us, more that I want us to get into. It's just simply that the Spirit, not the law, leads us because the law, two things, the law is inadequate now to lead us. 
The law actually has always been inadequate. Not that it is bad. The Bible says it's good and it's holy. It's just inadequate to produce righteousness in us, especially as unbelievers. I don't want to do the right thing. There's this fallen nature in me that truly wants to do the wrong thing. And I'm in conflict. Sometimes I want to do the wrong thing, but then I end up doing the, I want to do the right thing, but I end up doing the wrong thing. And this nature, this sinful nature, this flesh is controlling me, and I can't keep the law. I can't do what's right. And so the law has always been inadequate, and therefore it was only leading us. In Matthew 5, though, here's the other sense in which the law is inadequate. Matthew 5, Jesus gave us two examples very clearly. He said, you've heard it said, do not murder. That is what we call the letter of the law. And then Jesus gets into the spirit of law. He says, as you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say unto you, do not hate your brother. See, that's the intention of the law. Now, the Pharisees were wonderful law keepers. They didn't murder, but boy, did they hate. And Jesus said before he even gave any of these examples, unless your righteousness fulfills that of the law of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's because they're they have no intention of truly following the spirit of the law, which is hate, don't hate. They just want to keep the letter of law. So he throws out another one to them. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Now, that's the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law, he says, but I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, that's the spirit of the law. That's the intention of the law. And let me just say this. That if the law were adequate, if it would cover every single possibility in life, there would be no end to the volume of this book on my pulpit. No end to its volume. It cannot possibly cover every nuance. And so as a result, it comes to us in principles that we were told to obey, but we must discover the spirit of the law. And in Christ, there is only one way to tap into the depths of that, of that law, and that is to dig into the spirit of the law by being led by the spirit. So when I'm ticked off at my neighbor because he cut my grass so low and now it's dead, I'm not going to tap into the law. Now I'm going to tap into this. God, what do you want me to do? I want, to, I, want to, I want to not just obey the letter of the law. I want to obey the spirit of the law. The other reason, the other reason why the law, the other reason why the law does not lead us is not simply because it's inadequate and it can't cover every nuance in life, but the spirit does. The second reason is that the law condemns and it does not empower me. Actually, let me read this to you in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So before I came to Christ, I couldn't keep those laws. I would try and I would, mis I would fail miserably because I did not have the spirit in me to empower me. You see, so the law could not produce life in me, and that's actually from chapter 3 of Galatians. Instead, it 
it highlighted my inadequacy, my personal inadequacy and my failures. And I don't know about you before you came to Christ, but there was guilt. There was this sense, I just can't do it right. No matter how hard I try, I just can't do it right. And I just, there was this sense of guilt, nagging guilt that I carried about with me that when I stepped into Christ, he lifted that because the law has to do with obligation and duty. Obligation and duty. See, if I source the flesh, then that means my focus is going to be on the desire for evil. If I source the law, it's going to be on my desire for duty, what I should do, obligation, self-help. I don't mind self-help books, but in and of themselves, they are completely inadequate. You can go to the uh, Books A Million, look at the top 10 best-selling books. Many of them will be self-help books. People want to make themselves new. Be a better me or be a better you. Uh, come to SSC and be a better you. I, I mean, there's only one way to be a better you, and that is not by going to school, and that's not by me changing me. It is when God changes me. It's only when God changes me. And so when I tap into the law, it's this sense of duty and obligation and, and self-help. And here's what I need to adjust and set different goals. And, and I'm going to just tell you right now, you're going to fail. How many of you kept your New Year's resolutions this past January? Anybody? And I tell you what, you probably walked away maybe accomplishing one out of the five or two if you were good, and there's this sense of weariness, and you're wondering, you know what, should I even set New Year's resolutions? Now, I'm, I'm all for goal setting. It's just that if you tap into what I'm talking about here, sourcing the law and this obligation, you're going to fail, and you're going to be weary, and you're going to wrestle with guilt, and there's only one way around that. Let's do it God's way. Let's source the Spirit. You see, if I source the spirit, what God does is he begins to stir in me a want, a desire. I truly do want to diet, okay? Dieting was probably on most of our list there. I want to change this eating habit and that. And, and it's because, well, I just want to look so good so that when comes summertime and I'm wearing my bathing suit, uh, 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 don't, w you really went there? You know, and, and we want to look good, and so we want to diet. And uh, Okay, look good for your spouse. I understand that. But you know, God just, he says, look, be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead, not the law, and certainly not the flesh. See, if, I, if, this, if I'm, my focus is the Spirit, then I desire, my desire is for God. He stirs in me this want, this love, this spirit empowerment. And now I want you to look at verse, excuse me, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature or please his flesh from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit reaps what, church? Eternal, say it louder for me. Eternal life. This is that Zoe. This is that life more abundantly that he promised. Here's the key. If you sow to the Spirit, what are you going to reap? Help me. Eternal life. It is this Zoe. It is this abundant life. Now, I used to think that sowing to the flesh or sowing to the Spirit meant you were feeding the flesh or you were feeding the Spirit. 
can I just tell you this? God's spirit doesn't need to be fed. It, he doesn't need to be fed because we have that backwards. It's not that I'm feeding the flesh or feeding the spirit. It's that the flesh is feeding me. It's that the spirit is feeding me. And when the spirit feeds me, it is a totally different ballgame. The spirit begins to produce these new desires in my life. When the spirit feeds me, I start to want to pray. Can I, can I get into it right now? Yeah, yes. Here we go. Okay. Uh, I, okay, all right. I have more things that I want to say than I have time. And let me just say this. When we source the flesh, here, here's what we do. Here, and excuse me, when we source the spirit, here's many times what we do. We're wrestling with anger. And we come up with this self-help book from Books A Million, actually a Christian book. Wow, Christian author, it must be good. And it gives you four ways that you can overcome anger. Are you ready for this? Number one, have a quiet time every day. Oh, awesome. I'm going to have a quiet time every day. Number two, fast once a week. So every Wednesday, I set aside fasting. Number three, scripture memory. Okay, one verse a day. Really? To overcome my anger now, I've got to do one verse. A day. That's a lot. Okay, I'm going to try this. And so you start memorizing one verse a day. And to begin with, it's easy. But once you hit verse 50 on your 50th day, you're drowning. Now you've got to go back. And it takes you two hours every day just to rehash all of the verses that you've memorized. Okay? And you're, wow, this is a little bit more time consuming than I thought it was. But you know what? It's supposed to get rid of anger for me. And number two, make sure, oh, make sure that you were in church at least three times a week. Okay. All right. So I, I'm going to have regular quiet times. I'm going to, uh, what was the second thing I said? Uh, fast once a week. I'm going to memorize scripture and I'm going to do church three times a week. Now guess what church? Those are awesome things. They really are. Those are amazing things. But when you're, here's when you know when you're sourcing the law. Oh my goodness. Why did my wife do this? It's Wednesday. It's dinner time. And she grilled steak? Is she serious? I'm fasting today. But, oh my goodness, if, if I don't fast today, I'm never going to overcome anger. I've got to fast today. That's my motivation. I'm going to fast because if I do, look what this abundant, this eternal life God's going to give me. So I'm just going to sow to the Spirit right now, and I'm going to fast. And therefore, I'm going to get rid of my anger. Are you following me? The problem, though, is you're not sowing to the Spirit. You're sowing to the law. Let me explain to you now what it looks like when you sow to the Spirit. I am in the Word. It's not about 30 minutes in the Word and 30 minutes in prayer, which, by the way, is a wonderful thing to do. 30 minutes in the Word every day, 30 minutes in prayer. Go beyond that if you can. That's great. But are you doing it so that you can overcome anger? What if you don't? What if you miss a quiet time? You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel as if, man, I am never going to overcome this anger. Because you are trying to... Do you see what it says there? At least in the NIV, it says, for the one who sows to please the Spirit. Now, I understand that the 
translators of the NIV, we're trying to get at something here. The problem, though, is in our day, we understand that to mean if I sow to this, if I sow to please the Spirit, if I sow to make God happy with me, do you understand what I'm sound is reading this now? If I sow to the Spirit and, and, and I'm actually making God happy, He's going to give me self-control. He's going to give me control over my anger because I'm going to make God happy. So I'm going to do all of these four things to get rid of anger, and I'm going to make God happy, and, and I really want God happy with me. Can I just tell you right now, whether you do these four things or not, God is going to be happy with you. And he actually promises he will never be angry with you anymore because Christ's death on the cross took care of the wrath of God. It's called propitiation. He satisfied the wrath of God. So why am I doing these four things? Are you really doing them so that you overcome anger? Can I just tell you this? Instead of trying to put a smile on God's face. No, I want to be careful even as I say that. God's smile is already there and I want to obey him. And, and the problem comes here. When, when I am doing these four things, my goal is self-serving. When I am doing these things and sourcing the Spirit, I am not having my quiet time so that I can get rid of anger. I'm having my quiet time because this speaks life to me. I'm having my quiet time and spending time in the presence of Jesus because I desperately need this life and I want to be reminded of your promises. And, and God, I just want, just pour life into me like Ezekiel breathing into those dry bones. Breathe into me, Spirit of God. Why do I fast? I fast. Because this is a desire that God has put in me. And I don't have to understand all the nuances about fasting. But I know that it impacts me. And I love Jesus. And as a result, I want to do this. I'm not fasting so that I overcome anger. That might happen. Praise God. I just know that fasting feeds me. That is sowing into the spirit. I'm going to memorize scripture. Not because by memorizing scripture, then I'm going to get rid of anger, but memorizing scripture puts a deposit there. It's unusual. The word of God is sharper. It's, the word of God is living and active. It has power. There is a spiritual dynamic that I don't understand even as your pastor, but when I get it in me, when I meditate on it, when I memorize it, when I, when I think it through, it, it undoes me and it speaks life to me. That's sourcing the spirit. The reason why I come in fellowship with you people isn't so that I can overcome anger. Isn't it because some of you, like, like Tim, Tim Miller, I mean, I love Tim because Tim, he, he's, he, he loves the Lord, you know? He's an encourager for me. I'm sure he's not perfect, but there are some ways in which he has 
life better down, and, and I want to see how he lives out, and how do you not get angry here? And so I want to see that, and it encourages me, and it speaks life to me. It doesn't condemn me. It speaks life to me. And when he and I talk, and he talks about just his love for the Lord, that encourages me. So guess what? I want to hang out with Tim. I want to hang out with you guys because you, you, breathe, you speak life and truth to me. Kate has an ability to be able to just really see something and speak life. I can't tell you how many ladies have come up to me and said, wow, Kate shared this, this tonight, and it was just like, it was like life to me. So do you go to church, honestly, to overcome your anger issue? Really? Then you're sourcing the law. I'm going to just tell you this. You need to source the spirit. I come here because I want life. I want life, and it speaks encouragement and hope, life to me. Now, because I am receiving life and I'm sowing to the Spirit, the Spirit's feeding me, guess what's going to happen? Over time, wow, you know what? I'm not wrestling with the anger like I used to. But it's not because I sourced the law, but I sourced the Spirit. Now, let me, I'm going to end with this, and, and my time is up. I know it is. I've got to share this with you. Turn with me to chapter 3, verse 5. How many of you would love to see, and this is going to be an example I'm going to use, how many of you would love to see worldwide revival in your day? Worldwide revival. I mean nations, church, not just a pocket of here and there people coming across. Entire nations, raise your hand. How many of you would love to see worldwide revival? Paul talks about this. Are you ready? Chapter 3, verse 5. Turn there. Chapter 3, verse 5. Here's what it says. When I read this and I saw it in perspective, it was like, whoa, this is really what he's talking about. Here's what it says. He's, he's talking about, you know, did, did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Verse five, he says this. Get, listen to this. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? What he's really getting at there is, are you, did God do miracles among you because you sourced the law or because you sourced the spirit by faith? Sourcing the spirit is always by faith. We're going to get into more of this in coming sermons. The answer is because you sourced the spirit. Now, these are not miracles that Paul did in evangelizing them. These are miracles that are happening in their midst, and this is their thinking. If I observe the law, God is going to be so happy with me, I'm going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to be healed. I'm going to have an expansive ministry. There's going to be worldwide revival. Wow, but I've got to do all of these things. I've got to observe, I've got to obey all of these moral codes in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, don't forget that. And if I do this, and if I live my life right, God is going to use me in powerful ways. Now, I am not in any way downplaying obedience right now. It's just that if that's your focus, if the law is your focus, how's it going to impact you? It is going to make you weary because that's what duty does. And I'm not opposed to duty in any way. But I am not a faithful man because I try so hard because I know that I can't. I source the spirit. Let me give you an example. How many of you are familiar with Paul Young E. Chow? Or I guess his name now is David Young E. Chow. Changed his name many years ago. And he, 
he did that. Uh, God, rather, has blessed this man. He's got a, a really dinky church in South Korea of about uh, almost a million, um, one of the largest churches in the world. He laid out this qualification or this challenge to his pastors to be a pastor on this staff. I'm going to ask that you pray, listen, five hours a day. Woo! Man! Five hours. Just give me the challenge of one hour, maybe two hours a day, and I'll work towards that. And now here's what we do. The, the churches in North South Korea, they are not small churches. There are churches, literally, there's many of them that have hundreds of thousands of converts. The Spirit of God has moved powerfully. So here's what we do. As Americans, this is what we do. We write books on this stuff, people. All you've got to do, you want to see revival come to America? You've got to pray five hours a day. Do you want to see God do miracles in your midst? you want to see him rescue the lost? you want to see worldwide revival? You've got to pray five hours a day. How do I know this? Look what's happening in South Korea. They're doing it. There's revival there. Let's bring it to America, church. Let's pray five hours a day. Here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. I have just taken a very, profound spiritual truth and I've actually managed to turn it into a formula. You just got to pray. And so we beat ourselves and we try to pray and we try to pray. Here's what God would have you do. Let the Spirit feed you. Let the Spirit so excite you and encourage you and envision you that before you know it, you're praying five hours a day. And it's not a duty this is, this is a passion in my life as I have been fed by the word and by the fellowship and even my memorizing scripture. It's like I can't get enough of it. I'm sourcing the spirit and he's empowering me. And I find myself lingering in prayer, even late for some of my appointments. I'm, but I'm praying, five, I'm actually praying six hours a day. This is why in Acts 6, the apostle said, we can't take care of the widows. I need someone. We need to delegate this because we need to give ourselves to prayer and the word. So I'm not in any way saying, let prayer take a back seat. It's just that us Americans have this tendency to turn everything into a church growth formula. And that's the law. And we put this duty upon ourselves. And it's like, yes, we need to pray. As a matter of fact, if we do not pray, revival truly will not come. But I'm going to seek to fall in love with Jesus so much that I'm going to pray. Sourcing the Spirit is like inhaling. It's like inhaling. It's like the Spirit of God breathing into me. And prayer becomes my exhaling. I source the spirit and his power and his love and he changes me. And I want, I'm passionate about following after him. And so I find myself on my knees crying out to God many times in tears because the spirit of God is moving me to do this. It's not a law. It's not the sense of duty and obligation. It's far from that. 
you know, you don't spend time with your spouse because you've, you're looking at your watch and I got to do 30 minutes of couch time today. No, you, you spend time with your wife, your spouse, because you love her. You love him and you want to hear from, hear their heart. And it becomes a desire in you. It's not a law. You know what? If you got, I, I love lists. I do. You will never find one thing on my list. Kiss wife. I don't need to have that on my list because I love to kiss my, and, and so I kiss her. But you know what? For those who source the law, that's what they have on their checklist. I found myself doing a bunch of things during the day that I didn't find on my checklist. So guess what I do? I write them on my checklist. More checks on my checklist. I feel so much better about myself. Really? And this is how Christians who don't know how to source the Spirit live their lives. And it becomes a burden, and it becomes so weary. So to the Spirit. Which is natural as breathing. And if you don't breathe, there is no life. For this reason, he says, so to the spirit, from the spirit, you will reap life. <sighs> that is life. That is the abundant life. Can you stand with me? God, I fear that as Christians, we have, we become little robots. We keep asking the wrong questions. We keep sowing to what we think will manipulate you enough to get you to do what we want you to. And the law and being led by the law is about me moving God. And being led by the Spirit is God moving me. Move me, God. Move me, God. Father, I, I pray for every single one of us here that our times in the Word and in prayer, they're going to speak life. Our times of fellowship together is not a duty. It's not about church attendance. It's about life. Worshiping you, God, is not another thing to check off on my list. It is life. God, speak life and feed us life. And, and God, I ask that as that life moves through us, God, we truly will see revival in our day. That's just part of my life. The Spirit of God living and breathing and moving through me as I do this. God, let this Christian life be as natural as breathing to us. But I fear, Father, that we want four things 
to sexual purity and five things to controlling our anger and 10 things to bring revival in our land and we are missing it. And I'm just asking you, God, let us, God, let us just be so simple and say, God, I can't, but you can. As we go through these series of life in the spirit, teach us. Make it so simple for us, God. So plain. Because, God, we all here in this room, we want to experience the abundant life. So help me, God. As not only as I sow to the spirit, but as I walk in the spirit, as I'm led by the spirit, and keep in step with the spirit. Do this in me, Jesus, please. In Jesus' name.